You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Canadian Challenge Tales. We are joined by Mary England and Jesse Terry. How are you doing today? Great. Doing well, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> oh, I appreciate you joining us again. I know uh, we had episodes with each of you individually last year. And, you know, we talked about how you got going with your kennel and, and some of your previous races. So if anyone's interested in listening to that, Go back and check them out. November of last year is when we published those. Uh, what I want to jump into right off the bat here was the Canadian Challenge last year. So, Mary, I'm going to start with you, put you on the spot early. So you finished the 300 mile as a qualifier, so no assisted help, all on your own, um, and the only team to do it. So uh, pretty impressive. Can you tell us how the race went for you? You know, did you... Did you have fun out there? Sure. It was it was great. A, a quick correction. I registered as a qualifier, but I finished, I did do it. I did it with outside help. Remember halfway oh. through the race, I dipped into some of Jesse's bags. Oh, just to take food. Supplies. Yeah. So that, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, quick clarification. Um, yeah, but the race was really exciting for me because it was my first 300 mile race and um i thought that it went i thought it went really well it was a again running with a lot of younger dogs that we had and um we just wanted to set a slow and steady pace and i i think i was surprised at at how the miles just went along and the dogs kept looking great and Kind of dropping dogs that I expected would be dropped, so none, nothing came as a surprise for the most part. Um, and having Jesse's help, especially for that final 100 miles where he was at LaRange and, and handling for me after he finished his race, I think was a real perk and a really great moment of racing between the two of us to have his help there to spur me down the trail. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was a race. Yeah. So one one of the I was just looking over the results from last year before we got started, and <clears throat> one of the items that kind of stood out to me because you did the trip between Larange and Mississippi essentially three times. The first trip was six hours fifty one, the second six hours forty one, and the last one six hours twenty two. So are you suggesting that your handler is the secret there to pick up an extra half an hour? I don't know. I think uh, part, partly the apprehension of not wanting to burn dogs out. And so in the middle stage of the race, just being really conscious to go easy on the on the team, I think, was part of it. And I, I wanted to be sure I wasn't going to race them too hard. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with pushing a dog team and the time that I did and scratched the year before, 
really stood out and I was motivated primarily not to scratch. That was the, the goal number one of, of that year. Um, and then I think just seeing how the dogs finished those legs well and the leaders were setting a pace that everyone could keep up to. So, so it just made sense to keep the pace, um, you know, increasing the pace as each leg went on as we were approaching the end of the race. Certainly having that long break in Laurent would have helped that final leg too. You know, we had a good long rest before the final leg. Yeah, you took a little bit longer rest um, the, the last two stops, which, you know, you were, you had finished the 200 mile portion in, in third place, which was obviously um, fantastic. Uh, and then took a little bit more time to get that extra 100 mile in. Can you talk a little about the decision to go the extra hundred miles? Was that something you you had as a goal from twenty two, or is it just been a goal uh, of yours for a while? It's been a goal of mine for a while. I I knew that. Well, I know that it's hard to get in three hundred mile races right now without that race being offered. It's just the bear grease in our area, so it felt like it was an opportunity to do it that might not be around forever. Um, I want to be doing longer distance races. I think there's no surprise. Our kennel were, were distance racing and have our eyes set on some of the longer races up North. So it made sense to do it when the opportunity arose and it, it just in training the dogs, although a young team, they're showed, like they were very strong or they are still strong they're they're a really good team of yearlings and i felt like uh, they were showing themselves to be quite resilient throughout the year so it made sense to to try it out with them yeah but also this motivated for myself i wanted to make see if i could do it like it was let's be honest i I didn't know if i was going to be able to (laughs) well i mean obviously it went well because uh the vet team uh, voted for you as the best kept team for 10 dogs. So what was that like mm-hmm. to, to finish the 300 mile race and, and to win that, that award? Is that sort of the cherry on top of it all? Oh, more than that. It was the biggest honor of my career so far. And, and it, it really is. I, I, you know, everyone, you hear that all the time and, that the vet award it means so much and I mean I, I I'm always personally like just kind of thinking oh, okay I don't I I love mushing I, I know racing dogs is something I want to do I know running dogs is good for the dogs and there's always part of me that's just like I just don't want to do harm to these animals I don't want to run them too hard I don't want to cause injuries um and getting that vet award is proof in the pudding that you can run dogs and keep them healthy. And I think that there's a confidence booster in me because sometimes I do struggle with those ideas of, of ah, am I pushing this dog too hard? And um, that, that was really, really a, a vote of confidence for myself to, to know that we, we can care for these dogs well on the trail. Excellent. Well, I know it, uh, it was a difficult decision for the vet team because they had several teams to choose from. But uh, I think given it was over 300 miles compared to the rest of the teams at 200, it's it's that little bit more. And, you you, you know, I mean, you gave Jesse some credit, which obviously he deserved. I know he was working hard in the checkpoints to 
to keep dogs in, in their tip top shape, massaging and the rest. But re- really that's you that, that was in charge of the team. You were, you know, making the decisions on what to do. So, you know, I'm glad it, uh, it, it, it's a boost of confidence as it should be. And, and we're certainly, uh, excited for you about that one. I am going to switch over Jesse. We're going to talk a little about your fantastic run last year as well. Um, again, the back-to-back years, uh, 200 mile champion with a Canadian challenge last year, you were ahead by a, a little over an hour this year, uh, closer to two hours. So, you know, a little bit faster, uh, in terms of the time. So can you talk us a little bit about how the race went and, um, you know, if you, if there's something that stood out when you, you felt like you, you had a real good chance at this one again? Yeah, well, it, the the race went really smooth last year for for us and the and the main racing team. Uh, going into it, we knew we had a really strong team that could perform very competitively, and uh, I think the plan was again just to to pick a bib at the beginning at the front of the pack and just try and stay there the whole time again. And um, that's what we were that's what we were able to do, and it's pretty fun to. To be in that position, it's certainly lots of looking back the whole time and wondering if where the other teams are. And um, yeah, when I when I think back on on a real special time, it was that uh, that cold morning coming into Laurent. It was a real nice sunrise, and it was really cold. And 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 that that time, I knew I had a, a good chance at, at winning because it was I was cruising into Laurent with a good lead and didn't see anyone behind me on those big lake stretches. And you can see long ways behind you on some of those open stretches on on um, Lac Larange. And so you know there's nobody coming for a good way behind you. And um, that was a real special time watching that sunrise um, coming up on, on Lac Larange before that last big break up to Mississippi. Yeah, when we have, you know, mandatory rest in Larange, so that was an eight-hour last year. And so obviously when you got in, you would have been, you know, where you're checking your, your watch and keeping an eye out to see uh, Rhonda was the team behind you. Um, you know, was that, was that on mm. your mind or was it more, you know, let's take care of the dogs. Let's see if we can get a couple hours sleep and, and get ready to tackle the next leg. Yeah. I think it's, it's always just thinking mostly about the dogs and the team and what's, what you got to do next to, to keep moving forward at the, at the way you want to do it. And, but I mean, it's always, it's always fun to think, to kind of pay attention to where the other teams are, but obviously we're running our own race and that's, that's the main priority to, to pay attention to your own schedule and your own dogs, but also it's you're out there with other people. And that's part of the fun of racing is you're, is you're running, you're sharing this trail with other mushers. And that's, that's, that's one of the really cool things about racing is that, is that you're out there doing this with other teams. And a lot of times when we're training and we're out here, we're doing things on our own. Um, and it's, yeah. So you, you definitely think about the other teams that are out there and, and how things are going for them and, how how did they do that? How was that cold night for them and all those kind of things? And so, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely part of it. Excellent. Well, I know when when Rhonda came in, uh, she was a little over an hour behind you, coming into Larange, came out of that eight hour mandatory rest for the last leg, and uh, five hours sixteen minutes for the last fifty miles, and Rhonda was an even six hours. So, you know, if she thought she was going to catch you, you seemed to turn on an extra gear there, get a little extra speed and, right. and, and finish it out quite nicely. Yeah. So, um, 
I want to talk a little about the dogs because we know our fans love hearing about dogs and I'm not going to ask you to pick your favorite one because that's not fair to any of them because they're all uh, awesome. I'm sure that's what you would say. But can you tell us about maybe a dog that exceeded expectations or did better than you thought that that you had in the team? Well, I think of these, uh, one of the main lead dogs that, that finished the race in lead for me at uh, the challenge this year is a dog named Oaken, and he finished in lead on uh, the Bear Grease as well. And he's really stepped up as one of the one of the really best leaders in our in our kennel, and who can set a really fast pace at the end of a race after running a competitive pace to get there. And it's um, like Mary was saying, these dogs are mostly all four in our kennel now, and so they're just pretty much entering their their prime of 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 performance in terms of of being a a canine athlete and so it's really exciting to think about about these dogs and 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 the miles of trail we're going to share ahead and so so Oaken's definitely a dog that sticks out uh, when I think about special dogs that really helped make the season a success that it was last year for sure. Oaken's out of the frozen list and uh, he was named after Oaken's trading post and so frozen is the the kids Disney movie of course and um, we, in our in our family, we take turns naming litters um, when we have a new litter of puppies, and so that was our daughter's uh, turn to pick that year. And so there's a whole whole litter of dogs named after Frozen characters. So did she pick the theme and all the names? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. So did you have? It's not one of the questions I had prepped, but I like these. Did you have another litter uh, this past summer? And what about theme for that one? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Oh, there you go. Well, somehow Miali, our, our daughter, she keeps choosing the like the cycle goes around where we, you know, we'll have a big litter and we end up wanting to keep most of them. So that was the case with the frozen. There was um, seven dogs in total, and we kept most of them. Just one uh, has been given away to a musher in Maine. Um, and then now this this litter that we had this summer was a, a litter of eight dogs and she it's her turn to pick them again and she picked them all after ice cream flavors. And so there's <laughs> I really love these names. There's mango, pistachio, um, bubbles, bubbles, heavenly hash or hash we call her. Mm-hmm. Chip. Pistachio. Yeah, pistachio. Um, Neo for Neapolitan. And there's Rocky. Yeah. yeah so Oh, and one more. Minty. Uh, Minty. That's Minty. right. Of yeah. course. Minty. Who's <laughs> yeah. That you have uh, some excellent pictures and little captions underneath. I think one of the posts about each of those dogs, um, yeah. you know, explaining some of the name, which I thought was really cool. I just, it, it's interesting to hear how people come up with the, the theme. I know there's some people that are very methodical and they, you know, this, this, this letter in the alphabet or whatever, but I, I like the, the theme idea where you just seem to pick a different theme. And, and I love that your, your family's involved in, in doing that. I'm sure they, they really enjoy that part too. Yeah. I had a theme last year too, was um, the lakes litter of all the lakes that he's been on in the area. So there's some really great names yeah. that came out of, of his love of the land. Yeah. I, I really thought that was nice. Yeah. Excellent. How about some of uh, your dogs during the race, Mary, did you have one or two that, that exceeded expectations or did better than, than you thought? Yeah, I'd say the two really stood out 
uh, one of whom I've talked about before, and Dan is now gracing her presence in your yard, it's a little meltdown. Um, she was, or she is, she's just no longer with our kennel, but with yours. Um, it was her first season. She was two at the time of the race, and or two and a, just a, yeah, yeah, closer to three, closer to three, but still yeah. two years old. Yeah. Um, and the year before was just not quite ready to race. She was very immature and showed a disinterest in running halfway through the year. And I think uh, we we overdid it a little bit for her. And this year, I didn't have high expectations for her. She she was a dog. We were kind of checking it out along the way and she just kept going and going in, in training season and during the race she just she just kept on going like like a little know, like a little bundle of energy she just kept bounding along and she's a small dog and her consistency was astounding and and I was really impressed with her um with her with her drive throughout that whole race uh, she's always been a dog that required a little bit of TLC and wondering if she really wanted to be a sled dog, but that race really clinched it that this was her. Uh, mm. So she's really good at it and like doing it. And then another dog was uh, another yearling named Blaze, uh, who came to us from a, a musher named Kevin who lives in Moosonee. And this was Blaze's first year as well. And he's now on the, the main mm-hmm. racing team. And he's a big dude with a rad dude, <laughs> like a big great attitude. <laughs> he's, uh, um, I don't know how to describe him. He's just, he's all energy and focused and really showing signs of loving what he's doing. And um, he, I had him in lead during the bear grease and during the Canadian challenge, I didn't put him in lead because we had two other veterans who were doing a great job. Um, so I, I, kept blaze in the main part of the team but i think it's just the um the delight of seeing these yearlings do so well in a race never never gets old like seeing them mature and seeing them evolve throughout the year and then having the race as a culmination of their efforts and and a way to see their athleticism Um, yeah i think i think seeing those yearling dogs succeed is always such a thrill yeah yeah so mary sorry yeah mary had five yearlings in her team last year she had a mix of five yearlings and then and the mix of veteran dogs and so those those yearlings are now dogs that have graduated to try out for the main team mm-hmm. and it's it's really exciting for for me who's riding driving the main team again this year to to add these dogs that mary has put some really good experience on <laughs> and they had some really positive Experiences racing their first season with her, and and now they're gonna they got a chance to try out for the for the main team, and um, there's some really good dogs, and yeah. yeah, so really excited. We're adding some very high caliber dogs to the main team that I feel like is already uh, a very strong team, and so we're really excited about that as well. Well, and it must be that extra feeling of success to be able to take a yearling dog, give them some maturity, some experience, and and to see them progress up to the next level, if you will, you know, it means obviously you're doing something right, which I, I don't think there's any doubt given how successful you guys have been, both of you in, in the races the last few years. Um, one of the things that's a little bit different about the two of you is you seem to enjoy that, uh, what we call a qualifier. So it's, um, part of a different rule set 
for those wanting to qualify for longer races. I did a rod or Yukon quest in the past. And, and that's sort of the, the unsupported race where you're camping out with the dogs. And, and, and I want to talk more about winter camping, training to do that and, and just explain to people what you do, why you do it. You know, as long as you're not giving away too many secrets, of course, you know, how would you explain to someone on what they should do if they were trying to get their dogs to learn how to do this? Yeah. Do you want to give it a go? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think when you're when you're learning new, any new skill, it helps to, to learn from someone who's done it before and who's comfortable doing it, right? And so if we're talking about camping with dogs in the wintertime, I would almost break those two those two things up into two parts. There's the mushing and then there's the winter camping part. And so number one, making sure that you're comfortable mushing and and being out there with your team of dogs and having them out on a picket line and those kind of things. And, and you're good with that. And then also the second part of it is, is the winter camping and to not put them together um, right away and to to go winter camping prior to loading the ca- winter camping gear up in your sled and trying to put them together right away. And so that winter camping might be just going in your backyard, for example, and getting really familiar with your tent and your stove, if that's new equipment to you that you've never used before prior to doing it when you're out there with your dog team and you have to all of a sudden look after your dogs and look after yourself in a new environment that you might not be comfortable looking after yourself in. Um, and so this idea of learning from somebody who's gone with your camping before, and, and that's just by going out with them, right? And if there's no one around, you might have to travel, you might have to take a course. Um, and if you're doing it on your own, it, definitely the idea of, of getting comfortable with your equipment um, prior to going out with your dog team. And that would be the number one thing I think that I can recommend is, is learning from somebody else um, and then learning your own equipment on your own before you try and put it together with, with the dogs. Um, and then once you're comfortable with both of those things and then, and then definitely put them together and, and get out there um, and enjoy it. Cause um, there's no, no funner thing than loading up all your gear in your, in your sled and going out winter camping. Cause it, for us, I think it just combines two of the things that we really love doing, which is mushing dogs. And we love being out outdoors and camping and, and, that goes all year round. And so it's, uh, it's just a really special thing to share. And I think as with anything, so much of the dogs, how they perceive the experience is, is based on how you as the human are, are dealing with the experience as well. And that same idea we've talked about in the past, so that if you're super comfortable winter camping, it's going to be better for your dogs because they can sense that or and so this idea again going back to you if you're not comfortable winter camping it's going to affect your dog's first time winter camping because you're not comfortable being out there on your own so um, that's one of the main things i could think about yeah yeah i think for jesse and i both even before knowing each other we've both been quite we, we both gravitate to quite solitary activities that are pushing our own physical limits and in, in independently of a team or anything like that. Like he's was big into climbing and I guess mountaineering isn't always alone, but for me, I really enjoyed going on long bike trips or hiking trips and things like that. And, and so I think we, we naturally have this, this comfort being alone for one. And even though we love doing the winter camping together, I think when we talk about doing a qualifying race or doing a, a training run where we're out there alone, maybe independently, 
each going our separate ways on these big, vast lakes of Northern Ontario and saying, I'll see you in a couple of days. Um, those are really appealing moments in, in my mind. Um, yeah. And I think that when you're out there with a team of dogs, having a routine that is uh, very well established and it is entirely your own agenda and your own schedule and you get to plan every moment whether it's a race or not it, it just is very peaceful and and i feel like what attracts me to do the qualifying races is just to try to emulate that peace and quiet and routine and um yeah and and just the process that should be practiced in training and then honed in for maximum efficiency during a race but it's still that same like uh can't think of the word, but like, yeah, just the peaceful routine of it all. Um, and I guess I also get a little bit grumpy, sleep deprived, and I worry about how mean I get to handlers when I get annoyed with them when I'm all sleep deprived. So being doing it as a qualifier makes me stay away from other people a little bit more. <laughs> so can you talk a little about that routine? just what your routine, I know everybody's going to have to find their own and, and what's comfortable for them, but can you expand a little on what your routine looks like? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I have to caveat that I totally learned all this from Jesse. So I might be answering this question first, but it's all because I learned it from Jesse. So, uh, I mean, when you're rolling into, I, I, I like, I'm not going to go into what pack necessarily we could you could talk about that if you want to but once you've got all your gear packed what what you're doing is you're rolling up and and the dogs come first and you're getting them off their their line so that they are comfortable and in rest mode and uh the limiting rate is often getting water melted or snow melted sorry so so getting that cooker on right away um and as soon as that cooker is on then getting the dog some sort of snack and booties off and tug lines off and bedded down as early as possible so that they're maximizing their comfort and rest time and then getting their main meal prepped. And then once that's done, then you can start focusing once the dogs have eaten and have gotten everything settled in and you see them a curled bundle of fur on their straw, then, then it's time to take care of human and, and then you, set up your tent and get your own meal prepped and <laughs> yeah and then go to bed <laughs> basically <laughs> yeah it's pretty basic that's why we like it so <laughs> jesse what is that what does that meal look like i mean if you're staying overnight somewhere or camping out for a weekend or something you, you can get a little more extravagant but can you talk a little about what that meal might look like in a race training setting or even during a race at a checkpoint like what if you're melting snow, what are you going to eat? For for us or the dogs? Yes, for you. Oh, for us. Well, we've been we've been trying to get good at making meals ahead of time um, in large portions, and so we can eat that meal for dinner that night. But we can also freeze some of those meals and put and, and vacuum seal them. And then those frozen vacuum seed meals, vacuum seed meals are the ones that we thaw inside our cooker typically when the dog food is, is melting. And so hearty things like stews, we've been making every winter lately, we've been making a, a chowder, a seafood chowder. That's really yummy chowder and uh, chili and rice, things like that. And usually things that are 
uh, high in calories, high in salt um, are some of the some of the things that we we try and we usually gravitate to just because they're they're easy to eat and they're more desirable when you're cold and standing around in the cold. Um, yeah, there's a few other ones like lasagna. Um, yeah, what other meals have we been doing? Yeah, chilies. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. So what Jesse means is like a vacuum seal bag. Then he just drops it into the cooker that it, where the water is melting or heating up for right. the for the dog water. But at the same time, it's heating up our soup or whatever might be in that that vacuum seal bag. Right. right. And, and so, so what about liquids? Right. You know, you're trying to stave off dehydration anytime you're out in the winter in the cold. Obviously, every time you breathe, that that moisture is leaving your body. So how do you rehydrate are you melting snow for yourselves are you making tea what what are you doing for liquids well mary and i both love drinking coffee and <laughs> it's not the best for hydration uh, but yeah so we, we usually make a coffee i think um and then there's tea and hot chocolates warm gatorade i think the idea is having a variety as well just like for the dogs we think about having them a variety and for myself i like to usually have a bit of a variety when it comes to beverages but some of the main ones are definitely coffee i drink a, a mixture of black and mint tea almost every time i go mushing um, i don't often finish it or sometimes i don't even touch it but it's usually always there in my bag <laughs> um and then yeah i really like the hot gatorade that's something i've been doing lots of and it's a good way to get lots of liquid in you that's uh full of some electrolytes and sugar. And I certainly don't shy away from having extra sugar when I'm standing around or out there mushing and burning burning calories. Yeah, I spotted the Gatorade when you were at the 969 Wilderness Checkpoint last year. You know, the dog water was, um, you know, heating up and waiting for everything. And you just dropped a whole frozen bottle right into the water and it thought its yeah. way out part, part of the yeah. way or most of the way, it seemed like. And, yeah. and go for it. So, I mean, there's a convenient method for, you know, doing that. I've heard of people making tea in advance and then freezing uh, that tea, and again, in a vacuum-sealed bag so that yeah. it's ready to go. You can eat it as an ice cube if you're feeling a little too warm out there, although I don't imagine <laughs> that happens very often. Uh, yeah. Or you can then, again, put it in the in the warm water for the dogs and then take it out and you're, you're ready to rock and roll. So, yeah. you know, a lot of options out there for people. I know you can check out lots of other videos on what people are doing for that. Um, can you talk a little about the, the gear that you have? This, I guess it's going to be a little more race specific, some of the drop bags and, and checkpoint stuff that you're not carrying because people are going to carry your standard winter survival type gear in the sled all the time. You're going to have a sleeping bag. You're going to have an ax. You're going to have, you know, extra clothes or whatever. What's in the bag for you guys, you know, to handle those checkpoints when you're going to be unsupported? Because that's your only thing that you're allowed to access when you're at the checkpoint. Well, I'll start and I'll sure. probably forget things. But um, so there's dog jackets or, or sorry, not jackets, but uh, blankets. That's a really big part of it is trying to plan ahead. Um, having having those blankets that you don't want to be carrying, but you want to be able to cover your dogs up when they're resting. Um and then there is uh, human extra clothes, so socks and gloves, extra pair of that, and almost a, like definitely in every checkpoint, um, pack an extra pair of gloves and socks, and neck warmers. Um, there's I, I'm not going to go food yet, but what other gear? Let's see. There's extra booties for the dogs for the following run. Um, so when there's always 
the booties that are on the dog's feet and then an extra pack of booties in the sled and that's mandatory and so at every checkpoint you're picking up that extra set of booties um let's see what else there's food there's snacks for yourself for the upcoming run invariably i pack all these snacks and i never eat them and then i just keep accumulating bags and bags of snacks and so <laughs> i want to do a better job of feeding myself along the race mm. Um, there's cookers, fuel at every bag. Um, Usually there's some kind of a battery yeah, uh, or spare batteries or battery charging device and, and many drop bags because our, yeah. our devices and our GPSs and our headlamps, they all take batteries. And um, if you're not carrying it, you're usually sending some ahead and, and checkpoint bags. And so that's another important, important piece is our technology and keeping it running out there. And, how about anything sled related? You have anything for the sled itself, the runner plastic or? Yeah, it, yeah, that that depends on the weather usually, but um, I've certainly gotten into sending runners ahead. And I, I remember when I first started racing and I saw somebody changing runners in a race and I remember thinking that was so like, seemed like such a such a hardcore thing to be doing, like changing your runners in a race. Geez, I, I only do that when they're running on wood kind of thing. And I've worn the runners out in the past. And uh, I know that's part of it. Yeah, for sure. If it's maximum efficiency and you think about changing your runners to, to suit the conditions. Or if you've run over some gravel roads and there's a bunch of road crossings, you might think about switching those out because they're a little, they've got some scratches on them. But um, the, and then the food, the dog food is a huge part of it. And this was what was mind boggling when we did our first drop bags and, and just packing a ton of snacks, like way more than you need. You know, you want to be balancing, of course, the limits of the size of the bag and the weight of the bag, but um, dogs will have a picky appetite sometimes along the race. And so you want to have ample uh, different types of food for them, whether it's like, so we had beaver and horse, tripe, fish, beef, chicken, moose, moose pork. pork, fat, like pork fat. So of all that nine or 10 different meat types that we were packing a smorgasbord, because you never know if that dog will eat pork tonight and not anything else. <laughs> or, um, so I, I feel like that was a surprise to see how much should be going into the bag that clearly is too much food for, for the dog. Um, yeah. And I think that might get honed in over time as we get to know our team a little bit better as well and right. know what they like. But for these seasons where these are dogs that haven't done a lot of racing, um, we were quite liberal with, with the different types of food that we were bringing. Especially in the, the checkpoints at the later half of the race, when the dogs might be getting more picky when they're eating and yeah. at the beginning they might be, eating more readily and then as the race goes on some of those characteristics might come out and having that more variety towards the second half of the race is certainly more important than having it throughout the whole race yeah well and i think as you get more refined as you mentioned but also always better to have a little more than what you need than less i guess yeah. a little more variety than what you think than less it's you can't add anything after the fact and obviously yeah. the the leftovers end up back at the end of the race anyway so it's not wasted for anybody thinking that it's not wasted left behind or, or anything like that. It's all collected and, and carried on. So um, do you have any other suggestions for people that are going to be looking at doing, you know, some checkpoint simulations during training or even just going out and enjoying 
you know, winter camping. Is there a, an item that you would take with you camping that you wouldn't take racing that you would, you know, you don't want to leave home without? Definitely winter booties. Something comfy and really warm to put your feet into at the end of the day is, is really nice. And then the time I'm winter camping, it's the winter booties always go in because putting those things on at the end of the day is, 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 is really nice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Um, in terms of advice, I think just um, knowing that there's, there's more than one way to, to do any of these things that we do mushing and to, to try and learn or camping or anything outdoor related is to try and learn from different people. And figure out what works best for you and your dogs and your environment or your your settings as to where you are. Um, so someone who camps in, in trees might want a different tent than somebody who's setting up where there's no trees around, for example. And so knowing your environment and where you live and and yeah, and just learning from different sources is I think is really important to to figure out how 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 you want to operate and what works best for you. So. Just, just because one person does something doesn't mean you should do it that way or it's going to work for you. And to, to always just try and keep an open mind when you're, when you're doing these things because you can always learn more and always get better at these things. I think the very basics, though, is you've got a sleeping mat or some sort of insulating layer for yourself and a sleeping bag. And you could put that anywhere. And wintertime is generally dry. You're not going to get rained on in minus 40. So... Um, as long as you have those things and you could curl up on next to the dogs, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a very basic setup that works well. And that's what we're doing in general during training runs where we'll do a couple back-to-back runs. Um, and, and in general, Jesse and I like to get a lot of double runs in. At, at least that's where you'll, you know, do a run, sleep, do a run and go home. And, and at least some triple runs where you'll have a couple of campouts. Um, to get those dogs ready and also to practice the routine. Um, and, and for me, I think that's been the most important thing is just getting getting the routine um, settled in, my my memory and muscle memory and getting efficient at it. And it just helps you do it better when you're short on sleep and not thinking straight. Memory yeah. doesn't work so well. well Jesse had a, a, he had a good advice once where, where I always think about it is, never walk anywhere without a task being done. So, you know, you have your string of dogs up the line and if you're going to the leaders, you need to be bringing something to the leaders. And if you're going back down to the sled, you have to be doing something, picking up booties or picking up whatever it might be, dog bowls or whatever. So every trip matters. You you don't want to be walking that line of dogs without it being a full purpose. Interesting efficiency of movement. I like that. Yeah. Is there, do you guys set up a, a particular location for the winter with all of these, you know, um, wilderness rest breaks, let's call them. Do you have a camp set up somewhere where it's just set up and then you can use it? Or do you generally just, you know, grab a sleeping bag and curl up with the dogs and then you have some flexibility to go wherever you like? It's a bit of both. There is a camp that we set up that we leave up for some some parts of the winter but it it's it has the tent and it has the stove set up and it's it often it's hard to get in there and leave in a short period of time to mimic a rest scenario that you do in a race 
because it's so comfortable and you get the fire going <laughs> and you're, you want to sleep longer. And, um, it's easier to, to, to mimic a race scenario when you're not in that setting. And so we've, we've definitely done lots of runs and we will, we can just have a spot in mind that's in a bay, for example, where we, or we know there might be some tracks that leave the main trail that go close to shore and we'll plan to camp there, for example. And that's often, I think, the, the best training is when you're doing that and figuring things out on your own with, with the equipment you have and your sled. And, mm-hmm. um, so it's a combination for sure. I really like those, those runs because Jesse usually has a few more miles on his team. And so we, to really maximize training, we have to do different routes because he's, he's generally got a little bit more miles than my team. And so we, we all, we're doing our packing, we're setting off and we have a stretch of the trail where we're, we're each go, we're following one another closely. And then we split off and go our separate ways and we to go do our two to three leg runs over a couple of days. And it's just really neat. I really like the idea of these two dog teams weaving their way through mm-hmm. the Northern wilderness, like, you know, so kind of separate from one another, but crossing paths every once in a while or i'll see his lights way off in the distance and i'm like oh there he is mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of neat I, I enjoy those moments when yeah. we're when we're doing our separate but together camping trips <laughs> <laughs> so are you typically resting in the same places for those are you doing it sort of completely on your own knowing the other ones out there somewhere yeah we'll do it more on our own yeah. for the most part yeah just to plan the routes and the we, we have a few circuits that we'll do, but to get the right kind of miles in and not have to worry about road crossings right. and things like that, we often have to kind of plan it independently. So are you also looking after and maintaining grooming your own trails as well? Or are you able to tie in with existing trails in your area? Yeah, we tie into the to some of the existing trails. There's a, there's a portion that we have to open up to get to there. And then it's it's using trails that are that are mostly established yeah. mm-hmm. is that typically a snowmobile trail yeah yeah okay what's been your experience you know coming across other snowmobilers out on the trail you met with smiles yeah it's generally very positive for sure most people out there really appreciate seeing you out there with your dogs on the on the same trails that they are mm-hmm. Um, you know, every once in a while you get somebody who just buzzes by you and they just pretend like you're not even there. And that's, that's the other reaction you, you, you get sometimes, right? Yeah. It's, it's either like they're stopping and they're waving and they want to take pictures and they're, they watch you go by or they just blaze by you and they just, they, they literally pretend like you're not there. Yeah. So, yeah. And we, we are cautious not to, like we live in an area with huge lakes and the majority of our trails are on the lakes and and we're cautious not to be on the windy land trails during daylight when you can't see headlights very well um it's not officially a multi-use trail system so we're quite lucky that the skidoo club is you know the, you know i don't I, i'm not so confident saying that we're welcome on the trails because i'm sure there are some factors that affect whether or not we're, we're going to be kind of like a, i don't I don't know how to say this, but yeah, I think the official stance is that it's only for skidoos, but our skidoo club is accommodating. Which is great. Um, Do you have any other safety suggestions for people that might be doing the same? Do you you alter anything? I mean, you said you're avoiding the, what I presume to be the busier times, you know, daylight. I'm assuming weekends are busier than weekdays and, you know, stuff like that. Is there any other 
safety precautions that you're taking for that? Yeah, we're always thinking about uh, being seen, uh, and and that's thinking about reflecting reflecting on harnesses and having a flashing lights on your lead dogs so that um, there's extra visual aid to to make yourself seen, basically. Um, yeah, I think those flashers are really important when you're at nighttime with your dogs and the leaders to make sure that everything's visible, um, especially on a lake where you could get really strong winds and that could you might not be able to see very far, right? The tr- like, um, so having having extra visibility is really important for sure. Yeah, and it's interesting seeing the different trail systems like you go down across the border into Minnesota and those are officially multi-use trails where anyone uses the skidoo trails from skidooers to hikers and bikers and mushers and they have a big mushing community that uses those trails um, and it just works really well it they there's very little conflict there's very little there's no accidents really and and I feel like it's encouraging to see the success of those multi-use trails and and try to you know, change the culture a little bit in Canada where they're they're kind of strictly skidoo trails. Anyways, so we're really lucky where we live. People are very supportive of what we do. And in general, yeah. um, I feel like we're in a, a, a really wonderful little community. Yeah. yeah. And we buy a snowmobile permit, a trail permit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that helps. I, I know that yeah. my experience here in Saskatchewan has been positive with snowmobile trails and, and people out there. And I've, I've had similar experiences that you've talked about where, you know, people stop and want to take a picture and want you to go by and, and yeah. others that are, you know, tend to want to keep going fast, which is fine. They're welcome to do that. Um, yeah. Haven't come across anybody yet. That's told me you can't be here or you can't do that. They seem pretty, pretty excited. You're out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, looking forward to, to more of that. And I think as more, people get to do it and more people go out there, then it, it becomes more common, um, which is always a positive. Uh, the other experience I've had with multi-use trails, I happened to find one in Alberta when I was out there for Christmas last year. And it's the first trail I have seen yet that is actually listed as approved for dog mushing. Yeah. And yeah. so I was out there um, with people that were cross-country skiing, a few people that were ski joring, some people that were walking, some people that were doing the FET tire biking. And yeah. it's even an approved hunting area. Came across a couple of hunters mm-hmm. once. So it it seemed to be fine in the sense that everybody knew there was others out there. Everybody looked after the trail and picked up after themselves and, and all was well. So yeah. I think it's just a matter of allocating those trails for the use that's there. Cross-country skiing is the one that comes to mind. They had areas that were designated as cross-country skiing only because they have the tracks and they don't want those to be, uh, you know, disrupted in terms of the trail part. And when people adhere to that, everyone's happy, you know, out to just enjoy this awesome country that we have and the the glorious free and open space, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's amazing. And it sounds like you guys have a similar area where you are, which is obviously fantastic. Um, I do want to talk a little about this year coming. I know Mary's registered for the Canadian challenge 10 dog, which we're super excited to have you back. Um, but before we get to that, Jesse, I know you're not coming back to the Canadian challenge. Can you tell us a little about what you're planning for this season? Yeah. 
So our first race again is going to be the Bear Grease, the John Bear Grease Sled Dog Marathon in Minnesota. And that's a race, talking about skidoo trails, that's a race that's run entirely on state trails. It's really neat that, they, that they're able to do that. Um, so we're putting two teams again in the um, Bear Greeks. We're putting, Mary's going to run the yearling team in the 120, the, the mid-distance. And I'm going to go with the main crew in the, the main event, the marathon. And that's in the end of January. And then for... The second race, I've signed up for the UP 200 in Michigan, and that's the week before the challenge or like the weekend before the challenge. And so it's impossible to bo do both races in the season. Um, and the UP 200 is a race that's been on my mind for, for a good number of years. And I'm really, really excited to be heading down there with a team that I feel like has, has a chance to do quite well at it. And... Um, so for that second race, Mary and I are, are splitting up. We're going to two different events for the first time ever. We're bringing on the land sled dogs to two different, two different premier sled dog races, mm -hmm. and we're pretty excited about that. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of and happy for Mary for <laughs> wanting to go to a sled dog race on her own without me. I think that's super cool. And uh, she's really excited, I think. I, I know to go back to the challenge. I am. I know I feel bad saying it, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally a little um, a dependent, right? Like I've learned, I'm graduating slowly from, from being Jesse's little assistant to, to an independent musher. And I feel like this will be the, the moment where I'll be able to kind of hopefully, hopefully do it. <laughs> Yeah, but the UP, the reason, yeah, the UP 200, apparently I haven't done it or, of course, know, know too much about it, but the legs are really long and it can be quite a grueling race, just weather and snow conditions. And mm -hmm. so the consensus in general is that it's, it's a pretty tough race for, for a, young a young team. team. Yeah, so I wasn't super keen on, on doing that race with the crew that we have. And I love the Canadian Challenge so much. <laughs> I just can't stay away. <laughs> So yeah, excited to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I yeah. know uh, Laura Nice and I talked about uh, UP two hundred. That's her uh, local race. When we had her on last season, she had nothing but good things to say about the race and and the the trail that they have. The question mark is is really snow. That was yeah. her advice. You don't know. You could yeah. have hard pack, solid trail, not much snow, and. A day later, you could have a foot or two of fresh powder yeah. right on top of that. So, yeah. obviously, they have a lot of work cut out for them um, with with snow. And I think last year they they couldn't run the race at all because they had zero snow. So yeah, she are. said it's just, it's just difficult with the location and proximity to the lakes. You, you don't know what you're going to get. So you know, mm -hmm. combine that with longer legs and 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 an unknown snow condition ahead. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see how you do with that challenge mm -hmm. and, and how your team performs there. Obviously, yeah. we're super excited to have Mary back at the challenge, you know, part of mm -hmm. the, the challenge family that's been around for a while and, uh, you know, representing your, your kennel quite well. I know she will be. For sure. Yeah, so she's going to have a really strong team, I feel like. It's, it's our yearling team, but these yearlings will be... They'll be two. By the time they race, they're going to be two years old because they were born in January, these puppies. Um, and she's going to have 
the the adults in the team are very experienced dogs and her two lead dogs are the dogs that led me the whole way in 2022 for our first win are going to be Mary's main lead dogs and so she's going to yeah. be showing up with our yearling team but I think it's gonna not have really to a yearling team have a, have, a, have a very good strong <laughs> yeah. team and it's yeah, it'll yeah. Be of the eight there's only three that are yearlings right. so, so it's it's gonna it's gonna oh we have quite a few older dogs that are kind of approaching yeah. the end of their career um yeah. and then yeah and then a couple of the uh, I might end up getting Sven who's sitting on the couch next to us recovering from a a procedure if he does well with his recovery he might be with us too yeah, yeah. anyways that's gonna be really exciting and then we have i mean what's always a question mark if we have the time and motivation and finances to drive all the way out to maine but that race comes after all of the hubbub of up and canadian challenge and there is enough time to make it from the challenge for me to get to maine Jesse will have a lot more time, like an extra week. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're toying with that idea. And in general, generally, if we toy with the idea, it'll just happen because yeah. so, so, it's something we want to do. So this is the Can-Am 250 that Mary's talking about right. in Maine. Right. And I, I believe you went in 22. Yeah, yeah. So we did that after the challenge in 2022. And that time we had a day and a half at home to unpack and repack for a whole new 250 mile race. And it was, it was a lot. It was, um, yeah, it was a lot, but we, we pulled it off. And um, this year, if we do do it, I'll be home a lot sooner from coming back from the UP 200 because it's a week prior to the challenge. So I'll have more time to prep for that if that's something that we decide to do. Um, but the, yeah, the Can-Am was a really great race as well, Dan, and I'm certainly Certainly excited to go back to that whenever whenever we're able to make it happen. So we're we're thinking about it this year, but we're not sure yet. Yeah. Can you for people that aren't familiar with it, it's it's way out in Maine, which seems pretty far to to me. Uh, <laughs> can you just tell people a little more about the race itself and and yeah. what keeps drawing you back? Yeah. Well, this will just be our second time, but it's. Um, well, I think any race that's been around for a long time, I think it's been around for a long time because it's 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 they're they're special events, right? They're really they're put on well. Uh, the terrain is usually really nice. So for the Can Am, they're in the really big hills um, out there, and they they get often warm weather. So there's often the the variable of having warm and wet trails, um, and I think. It's, it's, it was described to me by multiple mushers as one of the, the best qualifiers to get you ready for if you're thinking about doing the Iditarod or a longer a longer race than, than a mid-distance. Um, and there's a couple of checkpoints where you're you're unassisted, you're on your own doing every, doing all of them. Or is that all of the checkpoints? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the checkpoints. Yeah. You don't have to have any assistance, but, yeah, so you, but you, you, two of them are remote where right. nobody else is allowed. Right. Yeah. So it's a race that's set up. Or everyone's doing all the chores on their own, and um, and like I said, there's there's quite big hills there. They're not as steep and continuous as the Bear Grease Hills, but they're just longer and bigger than the Bear Grease Hills, and it's just another chance to to mush and race in a different environment. That's just just gonna, I think, leave you a better musher for doing it and experiencing it. The first year when I did it in 2022, after the challenge, it poured rain that race for one whole night steady and it had like 
like puddles of water in your sled bag. And it was certainly a new experience for me to be actually wearing the rain gear that they that they had on the required equipment list, which I'm glad they did. Um, but also wishing I had I had two sets of rain gear or something to put on over the set of rain gear because you're just completely soaked by the end of the night. And it's mild because it's raining, but it's still uh, different in difficult mushing conditions because it's the trail turns to smashed potatoes because it's warm and raining and and literally like tipping over your sled in the middle of a run to, to dump the water out because you can hear it sloshing around and like your boots are filling up with water. and. Um, <laughs> Every musher coming into the checkpoint after that leg looked absolutely miserable. <laughs> there wasn't a single person who looked happy yeah. with life at that moment. And, and, I, and I guess that's just my kind of fun, Dan. I guess that's the kind of stuff that brings me back. <laughs> well, and I, 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 we can't talk about the, the Can-Am race without mentioning just, you know, a Canadian challenge uh, yeah. alumni you know Catherine Langley was able to to win last year uh, yeah. a tremendous job uh, on what yeah. she did the first female to win that race I yeah. believe she was yeah. so a yeah. special shout out to Catherine I know she's uh she's a hard-working musher and and yeah. and does a great job yeah. with with her and he's, and uh, Remy yeah. so I would yeah. expect you're going to run into them that's sort of their their uh local race if you will yeah, yeah. They they were really the ones who got us out there. And yeah, us to go, and sure. I think even this year are working on us <laughs> as we speak. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Well, I, I think that's part of the draw for the races as well that people don't talk about as much is that the the mushing community is, is quite close knit and and very supportive of other people. And as you talked about with the camping that you want to learn from other people, I think it's the same with races where you're able to learn from others and yeah. pick up that stuff that, that you may try or it might work and, and might work really well for you. So um, can you mention, I don't want to try and force you to pick somebody out of the pile, but is there another musher that, that you've learned from or that you picked up a trick from that, that you can share with us? That's going to be a question for both of you to answer. I know for me, I, I got like, speaking of Remy and Kat, I feel like I've learned an awful lot from Remy on the trail because he has been running puppy teams as well for the last couple of years that we've encountered each other at the Bear Grease last year was running the 120. Um, and then we were actually kind of finishing really close to one another and saw each other along the trails and has always had the perspective of, okay, how to run a puppy team well and how to train the next generation, but also, you know, looking at the adult team performing and being able to talk about what's happening with Jesse and Kat up front at the front of the pack and analyzing their decisions and talking about different, you know, dog care issues that are coming up and how to deal with it along the trail. So I found conversations with him to be really uh, enriching. So thanks, Remy, if you're listening to this for those moments. Yeah. Jesse, how about you? Well, I, um, I often think about if I started mushing in differently in my life, I would have, I would have definitely really wanted to, to move somewhere where there's an established distance kennel and, and live with them and did the, the live and handler scenario. Right. Cause I feel like someone who's getting into it, that's the, if you don't have a family and if you're, you're able to do that, that's, that's the best way to get into mushing and to learn about it really quickly is to, is to 
get that hands-on experience being surrounded in that environment right and i never had that um and i chat with quite a few mushers and and i'm regularly asking questions to everyone about how and why they do things um and so i i talked about that idea about always trying to continually learn from other people and, and picking the brains from other people who are doing things that i that i like the way they're doing it or i, or I want to know more about how it's being done the way they're doing it um so I'm always asking questions and trying to learn from from many different people. Um, but I guess I'm just going to give a shout out to my dad, who kind of raised me to do winter camping. And I think about one of the reasons why I'm so comfortable doing, being out and doing the things that I do is because he he raised us to to be outside doing things. And I learned all, most of all, everything that I do in the outdoors uh, from from him. And he got dogs when I was 11. And um, so I, I definitely wouldn't be here doing the things that I'm doing talking with you. Dan, if it wasn't for him, so um, just to well, and I know your dad's been a big part of helping during the races as well. You know, helping to handle yeah. and drive and and whatnot. So, um, you know, not only to get you started, but um, to tell both of you along the the path each year. Certainly, uh, yeah. enjoy seeing him. He's always got a smile on his face at the checkpoints <laughs> and happy to talk to other people and see what's going on and offers to pitch yeah. in all the time. So. You know, he's, he's a pleasure for us to, to have around as well. Um, yeah. One of the most interesting comments I caught when it comes to one of the past as people get into mushing, as you mentioned, where they're talking about the, you know, live-in handler or going to work at this kennel, uh, mostly because I'm a big fan of theirs. The, the Barrington sisters up in Alaska where Anna and, and Christy both did that, but they chose to work at different mushers at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then they'd come mm-hmm. home at the end of the day or finish the day. And then it was, well, you did this over there and we do it this over here. And should that be what we do? Or is that what you yeah. do? And which one? And then they changed to different mushers every season for a few years to get a real big, um, you know, wealth of knowledge and different versions and, and ways of doing it and, and finding what really fits best. So it's it's not just you know, us here, you know, talking about it with the Canadian challenge, but across the mushing world, it seems to be a very popular option to go and see what works and, and what may work at one place doesn't necessarily work at another or doesn't necessarily work with the dogs you have. So, you know, it's, um, it's good to see that. And I'm sure you, you would love to, to be able to live close to other mushers to do that a little more, but I think that's part of the race uh, experience that you get to see people that you're friends with, that you talk to and, and get to see them and, and talk to them and enjoy that, the social aspect of much long distance mushing, which doesn't happen very often on the trail, unfortunately, but you do get a chance during the checkpoints when you have a couple minutes. So that's always a wonderful thing. Um, Mary, what, uh, what's bringing you back to the challenge? Oh, I just love that race so much. <laughs> it's, it's the people. It's, I mean, I just, I can't describe it. What is it about that little race? Um, I mean, I, I think it really is the, the family environment. Like it, it's such a welcoming community. It's a place where, um, you know, you, you want to excel at the race and do well and the opportunity to, push yourself is there, but also always within a very supportive environment. And, um, you know, some of the other races feel like you're, you know, just, 
you don't get to know the organizers. You show up at, at a at a checkpoint, and perhaps you know you're not really met with such open arms, and nobody has a hot bowl of soup for you. Those kind of things. <laughs> so maybe it's a little bit of self interest of for getting getting nice hot soup that I want to go back, but. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, I, I just think that you guys put on such a um, an excellent race. I love the landscape. I love going back to Saskatchewan where I have a roots, spent a lot of my earlier years in Saskatchewan and have some good friends who often come up. And um, Yeah, I think that those are the main reasons, yeah. The poster, putting her on the poster might have helped a little bit, but yeah. not really. <laughs> Just, you know. Yeah. I, like, I like showing people the poster. The poster is really nice, and I'm showing people all the time. I'm like, check this Mary out. Check out Mary on the poster. Well, I'm really, yeah. really excited with uh, Jim, who looks after our, our website, and, and also the photographer, the race, amazing photographer. He's the one that does the poster, and in past years, it's been one musher, one picture, and then the information about the race. This year, he completely blew it out of the water with multiple <laughs> pictures of people with different scaling and colors. And I think it's yeah. absolutely tremendous. Uh, I think we're going to yeah. have to buy some extras this year because I, I think there's going to be a hot demand for people to take home. And, and of course, we also give a signed copy from uh, when all the mushrooms will sign them and then we give those out to our sponsors, which I know they're, they're really excited to get. So it's a, it's a tremendous thing. I know, um, you know, Jesse was on it, uh, for the 2022 race and then one in 23 last year, we had Rhonda on the poster and she came in second. So not to try and push the bar too high for you, Mary, but you know, some, some level of expectation, especially now. <laughs> as I would no longer consider you to be, you know, a rookie or a learning musher or anything like that. You're one of our, our experienced veterans. And I know we're going to have lots of people looking up to you this, this year around to see what you're up to and, and helping to move from mentee to mentor. That's a weird feeling. I don't, oh, I don't know if it's imposter syndrome or if it's just such a the the sport maybe is what's so appealing about it is how much there is to learn and i suppose that never ends um, well we have some very experienced mushers coming back to us this year yeah, uh, you know i i don't want to name them all because i'll get caught but uh, we're super excited to have uh what i will call a canadian challenge legend and jerry walker coming back this year he took a few mm -hmm. years off I don't know if that was from racing or dogs all together and he just can't seem to escape it, but we're really excited to have, have Jerry back. He's, he's definitely one of the, one of the mushing legends as we, as we call them here. So yes. it's, it's going to be lots of uh, old faces back again. So yes. um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I really appreciate you guys being able to be here, but I do want to give you a chance to, thank anyone that you have helping out because i know it takes a lot of help to have a, a dog kennel and, and race team and go to these races and and so if you have sponsors you'd like to mention or people that are just helping out you want to mention want to make sure you have a chance to do that yeah well as as our as our style goes we're, we're not the best with the technology side of it and we were hoping to have a, a sponsorship program up and running at this time but we we don't yet uh, but it'll it'll happen sometime um, but the main people that I think that I want to 
acknowledge, and I'm sure Mary feels the same way, is the Agurd or George family here in Sioux Lookout. Uh, that would be AJ, Kelly, Kendall, and AJ. BJ. Uh, BJ. Yeah, I said AJ twice. I said AJ twice, sorry. <laughs> um, so they're a family that has um, stepped up to be our biggest supporters in what we do here in Sioux Lookout. Um, they traveled to the Bear Grease last year with us, uh, and they're going to be doing so again this year. Um, but just are there in almost every aspect of what we do with our kennel and our dogs now. Um, it's it's really, really special to think about the, the love and the energy that they put mm-hmm. into what we do with the dogs. And it's, it's, it's definitely... It's definitely the dogs, right? These animals have such a passion and energy about them that it it brings people like the Gerder and George family to want to join and spend hours of their free time. And they're already extremely busy people to to help out with what we do. And it's it's unbelievably humbling and just so special to to have people like them around and, and to be part of our lives. They've become really, really close friends. And um, uh, they're the people that I want to acknowledge tonight, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I got tears in my eyes thinking about how wonderful they are. <laughs> and and BJ, who's the, the dad of the family, um, just reached out to Jesse three years ago saying, hey, you know, how can I help? And yeah. wanted to initially offer to send some money to help him go to the Bear Grease. But at the end of the day, ended up, cutting meat because he's a butcher and has a meat saw and then that turned into acquiring meat and cutting more meat making snacks making snacks and now they are just like they're they're here and they're part of the team and yeah our their their kids are becoming mini mushers and yeah they're gonna they're gonna plan to travel to the bear grease like i said um everyone their whole family and then they're even thinking about if they can, they're going to join us to the second race as well. And that's where we split up to different races. And they're going to yeah. also split up with us and yes. join us to these two different races. And, yeah. um, but definitely to the Bear Grease. And uh, we're really looking forward to having them around for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, it was BJ and Kendall who were there. And this year, it's going to be the whole family to take part in the race. And they're, um, yeah, I feel like they're, they're definitely our biggest supporters. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really awesome. Yeah, and it's just all, there's always there's been lots of other people who help out in, in their ways and mm-hmm. yeah Galen who's been a fellow in town who has just been really supportive putting us loads of dirt yeah, <laughs> yeah I get really excited with a load of dirt yeah <laughs> well you gotta keep the dog yard in good shape right yeah, for yeah. Sure. but I want to I want also I know it's maybe cheesy but I just want also to thank Jesse because he's like he talks about his dad as being his main mentor and and Jesse's been my main mentor, so putting up with my forgetfulness and my mistakes and my, yeah, my distractibility, trying to balance all the things in life and forgetting how to do things. <laughs> so anyways, it's, yeah, I, I know that, that yeah, Jesse's been my, my main dude getting me. Well, I, I think it's pretty special to be able to have somebody um you know a partner in life but a, a partner in mushing as well to, to to be able to make that work because i'm sure not every day is a, a perfect day where there might be challenges yeah. just like everybody else in any relationship but to be able to yeah. do it over dogs and share that where not just one of you is mushing you know we i hear a lot of that you know talking to people in the podcast and, and mushing in general where they have a very supportive partner a spouse who isn't into dogs 
And right. so I think it's tremendous that the two of you are able to do it where both of you are very involved and you found the portion of the kennel that, that seems to work best and the dog team that you want to drive. And I think it would be a different dynamic if you were both working on trying to have a, the A team and, and, you know, drawing names or, you know, flipping a coin to see who gets it for this race or that race. So I think it's tremendous that you're able to, to do that together and, and, you know, an example to others on how awesome it can be. That's certainly my impression from the outside. Thanks, Dan. We feel pretty lucky to to be living this life together for sure. Hey, Sven. Sven next to us agrees. A little injured dog. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure he's loving the, the couch life today. Um, how about, uh, people being able to find you, follow you? What's the the best way for them to do that? That dreaded question that exposes our main weakness of <laughs> not being able to do technology. Yeah. Um, well, Jesse's Facebook page. <laughs> yeah. Well, we each have our own personal Instagram and, so, and Facebook that we post things on, but, um, it's, it's definitely on the list of things to do that, Dan, to have a kennel page for both, uh, both or different platforms, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say it is going to happen before race season, and I'm going to publicly verbalize that because that, that really commits me when I, when I verbalize things publicly. Um, so there will, be, there will be something that's coming in the near future, and I'll just encourage people to, if they want to follow any of the personal pages, they'll definitely get notifications as to when the kennel page is going to be up and running. So Yeah, and we'll make sure... We'll make sure to include those links in the show notes below for anybody who wants to to go and check them out. I also want to say a special thank you to uh, our major sponsors for Canadian Challenge Adventure Destinations and their wonderful Thompson's Resort in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Going to be hosting the start line and the finish line this year, which yeah. we're very excited about. And we're also happy to have Baldwin Feeds and their perfectly raw line uh, back as a, a major sponsor for the eight dog races here. They've been with us for many, many years and just a tremendous uh, family that they run, uh, not just mushing um, and, and sled dog food, but they also offer raw food for your pet or dog at home. For any of those who are interested, Perfectly Raw is their uh, brand for that. So before we yeah. close out, any last words? Well, just, it's a pleasure, Dan. Yeah. It's, 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 always enjoy chatting with you. Yeah. And I really enjoy seeing you becoming a musher yourself. It's pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to see you on the, on the trails. That's really exciting. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's been a a fun journey and uh, I will publicly state now, because I have to go on the record with this one too. We are planning an episode with, for the podcast where I'm going to be on the other side of the mic. So uh, working on having myself be interviewed, talking about, you know, where, where the kennel started and and how it's grown to where it is now and, and what I'm planning for, for this year, um, you know, really kind of jumping into the the race side of dog mushing this year yes. with with three races planned. So super excited about yeah. that. Just trying to get the scheduling worked yeah. out and and getting someone on board who wants to to take my seat at the table. You know, on the other side, oh, uh, asking the questions, interviewing yourself, and and playing a dual dual role. <laughs> you, you could, you know. I'm sh- I'm sure I could, but I never know where the conversation's going to go because I tend to write down a few notes and a couple of questions, and then we just see where the conversation goes. So if I did that, I might end up with two and a half hours long of who knows what, 
uh, off on some wild tangent about dog genetics and how far back this one goes and that one goes and, you know, um, but that, that is one that uh, we're working on as well. So I really well, want to thank you for joining. Really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, and everything you've done with the Canadian Challenge and being big uh, supporters and, uh, of the race and, and what we do here. And for me personally, a, a lot of help in, you know, helping me along with my journey too. So thank you again. Uh, appreciate it. And to all of our fans that are still listening, thank you so much for sticking around. We are well past an hour, which is awesome. Lots of <laughs> wonderful content here for everybody. You can enjoy a, a nice podcast along the way. Mary, Jesse, thank you. And to everybody Bye. else. See you in a goodbye. few months. Bye. Bye. Bye.